Well, welcome to Grace Wave Baptist Church, and this is our Sunday School lesson for September 26, 2021. So for all of you who were wanting fall to come, it is here, isn't it? Doesn't feel like it, but it is here. We've been um, answering these questions that come from the New City Catechism. And the question today is, what do we believe about the Holy Spirit? Well, now we're opening up a can of worms, aren't we? Because there's so much false teaching and so much misinformation and confusion about the Holy Spirit. We want to make sure that that's clear. Now, a lot of the problem comes because people take this idea of the Holy Spirit and then they use their imagination to figure out who he is. In fact, some people will talk about the Holy Spirit as an it, an impersonal force. Or maybe they call it the force, like in Star Wars, or something like that. Some people have the idea that the Holy Spirit is, you know, a part of the Godhead, but he's an inferior part of the Godhead. And so uh, whenever the Bible talks about the Spirit of God indwelling us, you know, we kind of, ah, yeah, but it's just the Holy Spirit. And uh, we need to kind of get that cleared up. And we don't clear it up by what we think, because what we think is never going to measure up. We need to clear it up by the Word of God. What does the Scripture say about the Holy Spirit, this third part of the Godhead? So the answer that we're given here is that He is God. Think about that, that He is God that he's co-eternal with the Father and the Son, and that God grants him irrevocably, I like that word, to all who believe. So that's the easy answer there. He's God, period. And then he is co-eternal with the Father and the Son. Now that means there was never a time where there was the Father, and then later there was the Son, and then later there was the Holy Spirit. No, all three, all together, always there from eternity past. That makes your brain hurt when you think about it. And that God grants him to all who believe. So at the moment of your salvation, God gave you the Holy Spirit. God himself lives inside of every believer. And that word irrevocably there, uh, that is the word that means that position, that indwelling never, ever changes. So sometimes it's a little hard to grasp. How can God be three in one, three distinct persons, co-equal in nature and attributes, and yet one God? And that's what makes our God unique. There are other people who talk about God. And uh, I was talking to a Muslim one time, and he was telling me something that I preached was very, very similar to the Quran. And uh, I let him go for a while, and then I felt the liberty to ask him the question, AJ, is Jesus God? And he said, no. And that was the last time I ever spoke to him. He was not interested in that at all. Why? Because what he believed about Allah is not what the Bible teaches about uh, Yahweh. Okay? Even going back into the Old Testament, there are verses that they don't teach the Trinity, but they allude to it. 
and they certainly allow for it. Okay, think about uh, at creation. The Bible says that God said, let us, that's plural. That's interesting, isn't it? Let us make man in our image. Who was he talking to? He's talking to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They were having a convocation, I guess you would say, in a conversation. Uh, think about in Isaiah chapter 6. I mean, these are Old Testament scriptures. When Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, remember that? in the temple. And then he says, you know, woe is me for I'm unclean and I come from a people of unclean lips. And then the angel brought the uh, coal from the fire of the altar and touched him and said, now, now you're clean. And do you remember what the Lord says in response to the cleansing of Isaiah? Whom shall we send? Notice he said, we, whom shall we send and who will go for us, and Isaiah, of course, answered as, well, the only uh, adequate answer is, here am I, send me. Well, notice the plural is even in there, just like at creation. What is this talking about? It's the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They've always been together, they always were, and uh, that's what this answer means. In fact, if we look at some scripture here, Think about John chapter 14, 16, and 17. Now we know John 14 that uh, tells us, you know, in uh, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, right? What was Jesus making reference to? The fact that he is God. Well, it also teaches us that the Holy Spirit is God as well. John 14, 16, and 17. And I will ask the Father... That's the Son, the second person of the Godhead, talking to the first person of the Godhead. And he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit, notice it's capitalized there, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. And you know him, for he dwells in you and will be with you. Boy, that's tremendous, tremendous information there. That God the Son is going to ask God the Father to send God the Spirit to live with us, to indwell us, and to be with us forever. So it's not God the third string. They're co-equal in nature and attributes. And we have the very power that raised Christ from the dead living within us. That's pretty sad we don't use that. It's pretty sad that we don't recognize that. It's pretty sad that we live in our own strength, in our own power, when we have these tremendous blessings and tremendous resources that God has given us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, that is amazing to think that Jesus loves you so much that when he ascended back to heaven, he had you on his mind and asked the Father to give you the Holy Spirit. And that happened, of course, the moment that you were saved. Well, in talking about this, our points will go like this. Number one, the Spirit is a gift from the ascended Christ. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is a gift from the ascended Christ. Remember, he said in the passage we just read, and I will ask the Father and he will give you 
another helper. Go on over a couple of chapters to the right. John 16, 7. This is Jesus speaking again. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. He always tells the truth, by the way. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, that's another word for the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And so Jesus is telling us here that on the earth in a body, what was he? He was like us in this regard, locked into time and space. I can only be at one place at a time. Now, of course, you know, humanly, we have different ways now with our technology of being in a lot of places at once. I can record this and I can send this out, or Gary will, and there can be people that could access it literally all over the world. But I'm not really there. I'm here. And I'm recording at this time and at this place. And what you're going, going to get is just a copy, a replica of it. And um, I guess I could maybe hire a bunch of people to uh, go out and come to your house and they could uh, memorize what I say on this lesson and they could just repeat it to you. And yet at the same time, it wouldn't be me, would it? It wouldn't be me. It would be somebody else. Uh, those of you who are Sunday school teachers are going to take this and you're going to learn from the audio of this uh, lesson and you're going to teach it, but yet it's not going to be me and I can't be you and we can't be in the same place at the same time and yet be in with everybody else at the same time. Uh, it doesn't work that way, not, not in person. And yet Jesus is telling us, it's better if I go away. Now, the disciples didn't want him to go away. They would rather keep him to themselves, right? They would rather sit there with him and ask him questions and be with him. And I can only imagine what it must have been like to have been with Jesus. The times that they laughed, the times that they... Um, uh, talk to one another, the experiences that they shared, the wisdom that the Lord Jesus could give them. Can you imagine what that was like after a busy day when they built a fire and they uh, sat around the fire and ate and talked? Uh, I can't even begin to imagine what just a small talk conversation type thing would be with the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, they did that because they loved him. And they stayed with him because they loved him. They enjoyed fellowship with him. I think if you think about Jesus, the perfect man, there wasn't anything boring. There wasn't anything just trivial about him at all. Now, I don't take that to mean that uh, everything that he did was all heavy duty, serious and somber. I don't mean that. But uh, the Lord Jesus did everything with a purpose. And I think that even when he would do something that would be humorous, even when they would laugh together, it was always with a purpose. It bonded them together. It strengthened them. As well as, of course, when he would do his teaching times, and uh, then that would be heavy duty. We're still talking about those things today and still don't fully understand them. That's what's going to make heaven so sweet. And so the disciples 
whenever Jesus would talk about dying and leaving and going back to the Father, of course they were saying, but we don't want you to go. Kind of like a little kid. You take a, a toddler and uh, mama or daddy or somebody like that says, you know, I've got to go now. Oh, please don't go. As a grandfather, I've heard that from our grandchildren when they're little. Please don't go, and they may cry and be sad about it. It's kind of the way the disciples were. They weren't toddlers physically and emotionally, but they probably were spiritually. They would rather just keep it the way that it is. We want to be with you. What will we do without you? And uh, Jesus said, it's to your advantage if I go. Now that doesn't sound right not to a human. That doesn't sound right to a toddler. What do you mean it's better if I go? Tell a two-year-old or a three-year-old, it's better that I go to work because then I can feed you and then I can clothe you. But they don't understand that. Why can't you just stay here? We were building a tower with the blocks and I haven't knocked yours over yet. You know, why can't we just keep on doing this? Be, be nice if we could, wouldn't it? But it is, and it's to their advantage that we go to work and make money so we can provide for the family. Well, Jesus is, uh, that's a poor illustration, but Jesus is saying, you know, in the same way, it's better for you if I go. Why is it better if he goes? Well, he says, I will send him to you. The Holy Spirit doesn't come until Jesus goes back to the Father. The Holy Spirit does not indwell us and be with us until Jesus has gone back to the Father. So on earth, being in a body, he's locked in time and space, can only be at one place at one time. However, he says, the big advantage is I'm going to go back and I'll be seated at the right hand of God the Father. I'll be making intercession for you, keeping my eye on you, praying for you. And I'm also going to be defending you because... Just as when Jesus is on earth, after they went to heaven, the disciples, like you and like me, blew it from time to time, and the Lord stood up for us as our defender. But the Holy Spirit is always with us. So instead of Jesus being one place at one time, he can be worldwide through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can be with and also indwell any believer at any time, in any circumstance, anywhere. In Acts chapter 1-8, you think about the tremendous promise from Christ, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. And where are we going to do this? In Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. In other words, it doesn't really matter where he's always with us. Matthew 28, 19, and 20, the Lord gives us the Great Commission. Go, therefore, into all the world and preach the gospel, right? And at the end of that, he says, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Well, wait a minute. I thought you were in heaven. I thought you ascended to God the Father. I thought you were representing me. How are you with me now? And how are you with believers even to the end of the age? Well, let's do the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that has been sent by the Lord because of um, his going to the Father and giving the Spirit to us. It's his gift. And when we talk about the new part of the Bible, the New Testament, 
have you ever noticed when you make out a will, it's called a last will and testament? And it's as if Jesus, after his death, he says in his last will and testament, I want all of my children, all of my brothers and sisters to have me dwelling in them through the Holy Spirit. Because if you have the Spirit, you have Jesus, and you have Jesus, you have the Spirit, co-equal in their nature and attributes. Secondly, notice that the Holy Spirit is God. Some people try to make him something other than God, but Jesus made the statement in here, I will send you another helper. Another helper. The Greek word for another in that passage is alas. Now, that's not the only choice that the writer had. That's not the only choice that Jesus had. Greek is a very precise language. He could have said heteros, heteros. We think of a heterosexual, they're different sexes. He could have said, I could have said a heteros parakletos, a, a, a different helper, and uh, that would have meant different kind, different everything, right? Totally different. But he didn't. He used the word alas, and alas means another of the same kind, another just like me, in other words. And so that gives us a big, big clue that uh, he is sending someone who is different and yet the same, different and yet the same, different personality, different, uh, uh, same makeup. And so the Holy Spirit is different from Jesus, but it also means that he has the same nature and he is uh, God himself. The Holy Spirit is God, just like Jesus is God. Think about Acts chapter 5, verse 3. The first hypocrites that are recorded in the early church, uh, they were Ananias and Sapphira. Remember them? And uh, they saw that something was going on in, in the second chapter of Acts that was amazing. And a lot of people were happy and people were, you know, being recognized. What were they doing? Well, the scripture says in those days what the early church did, whenever they saw a need, those who had resources would go and sell, and it was mainly land, sell it, bring the money back, and lay it at the feet of the apostles. And then the apostles, they would take the money and they would give it to everyone who had a need. Now, some people have said that was a Christian type of communism. We all ought to sell everything we have, put the money in the church, and then dole it out as we, as we want to. But um, that wasn't the way it worked. It was as situations came up, as situations would arise, then there were people in the church who would do something about meeting the need of the people. And the needs of the people then, it wasn't just the kind of thing of, I need a tank of gas or I need my electric bill paid. I mean, we're talking about true life or death survival in those days. And so they would sell something and they would give it back and people would rejoice and people would be thankful, as you can imagine. And so Ananias and Sapphira apparently decided they wanted in on it. And so uh, they went and sold some land that they had. And they brought the money back and they brought it to the apostles. And where did they make their mistake? 
Now they could have sold it for $100,000 and they could have given $10 to the church if they wanted to. They could have given, you know, 50,000 to the church if they wanted to. The problem was not in the amount that they gave. The problem is they were lying about what they gave. They kept back some of it for themselves. Their realtor probably said, you know, you're asking too little for this, and they got more than they thought they were going to get out of it. And so uh, they didn't want to give it all. I mean, you know, and they didn't have to give it all. Please understand that. They didn't have to give it all. It was a free will offering. The problem is that they lied about what they gave. And they were, when they were asked, did you give, you know, all of this like you said you were going to? Oh, yes, we sure did. And God executed them. And uh, notice that when the Bible speaks about this in Acts chapter 5, verse 3, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? I mean, you didn't have to do that. Why are you lying? Why are you pretending to be something that you're not and to do something that you really didn't do? I wonder how many people in church this next Sunday morning, uh, if God treated them the same way, how many funerals would we be doing? But skip on down to Acts chapter 5, verse 4, and this is the point. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. Wait a minute. I thought he said he lied to the Holy Spirit. He did. And then he tells us here that you didn't lie to man. You lied to God. The Holy Spirit is God. And it's just as serious to lie, quench, or grieve the Holy Spirit as it is to do that unto the Father or the Son because the Holy Spirit is God. So we've got to get that firmly in our mind. Not a force, not an it, not an impersonal being, not a feeling, not something like that. The Holy Spirit is a person. God, the Holy Spirit. Number three, the Spirit's indwelling is eternal and permanent. You see, if you believe that you can be saved one day and then lose your salvation a decade later or a month later or, you know, whatever, then that would mean that the Holy Spirit would have to be withdrawn from you. You remember, lost people are dead in their trespasses and sins. That would mean that you as a believer would have to go back into spiritual death. Lost people, Jesus said, are not going to be condemned, but in John 3, 17, he says that they are condemned already. So you have to go from Romans 8, 1, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, Lose your salvation and go back into condemnation. It's just strange. How do you do that? And it also means that the Holy Spirit would have to say, I'm out of here and pack up and leave and get away from you and you would be devoid of the Spirit. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's one of the reasons that we believe in the eternal security of the believer because the Holy Spirit is promised to us permanently. 
Jesus said that he's going to send another helper to be with you forever, forever. And this is how, as we said in the last point, that Christ lives in us. And this is how he empowers us to do whatever he wants us to do. We have his power, the power of creation, the power of resurrection. It's all right here and it's in you, every believer. We just don't realize it. So when Christ is in heaven and he sends a spirit to indwell us, it makes me think of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Does it matter what we do in the flesh? Does it matter what we do in the body? Yeah, yeah, it really does. Because our body has become not only the dwelling place, the house, but the temple, the place of worship for the Holy Spirit. Your body is to be used to give worship and reverence and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you fail to do that, when you abuse your body, misuse your body, Whenever your body is involved in immoral things, you are subjecting the Holy Spirit to that immorality. Your body being the temple of the Holy Spirit, the one who never leaves you, remember that when you're doing something that you know is wrong and you're using your body to do it as if it belongs to you, Paul would say, well, first off, it doesn't belong to you. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. So glorify God in your body, right? And the second thing that Paul would say is that whenever we engage in those kind of things, we are subjecting God, the Holy Spirit to it because it's not like he leaves and it's not like we can walk away from him. And while he's in the living room, we do something ungodly in the bedroom or in a car or in a movie theater or, you know, whenever and wherever and whatever. He is always with us. And we're subject, subjecting him with, uh, to all of that. I'll get it out in just a second. And I always remember uh, my friend Rick Holland from John MacArthur's church talking about working with college people. And there was a couple that were dating and they came to him and they said, we're real embarrassed and under conviction. They said, what happened? They said, we are not married, as you know, and we have been sexually active. And Rick said he looked at him and he said, yeah. He goes, uh, somebody saw you. And they go, somebody saw us. And they, they went pale. And they want to know who it was. Who, who, who was it that has seen us? Oh, my goodness. Can we ever show our face in the church again? And Rick then said, yeah, God saw you. And he said the amazing thing was they had a sigh of relief. Oh, well, if it was just God, like it was no big deal. That tells us because a lot of us have kind of done the same thing. We're more afraid of man than we are uh, having a fear of God. And what happens when we do that is we downplay the presence of God. We downplay the power of God. We downplay the holiness of God. And don't forget that the spirit that indwells you has that modifier in front of it, the what? Holy Spirit, or ad adjective, I should say. Holy Spirit, because he is indeed holy. He hates, he detests anything and everything that you and I do that doesn't honor and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and he's grieved and he's quenched. And we are commanded in the Bible not to grieve, not to quench the Holy Spirit of God. He's there for a reason. And number four, the Holy Spirit's indwelling is for Christians only, for Christians only. It says, even the spirit of truth, well, that's a whole, we could do a whole lesson on that. He's the spirit of truth. He inspired the Bible. That's why the Bible is not just man's opinion and it's not filled with inaccuracies. It's truth. The God of truth cannot breathe error. And it says, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. So the reference here is telling us the difference between believers and unbelievers. And so when you see a lost person that does something and you do the same thing and God gets all over you, well, why is he picking on you? Because you know better. How do you know better? Because you have the spirit of God dwelling within you and the Holy Spirit is the one who guides you, leads you into all truth. That person who is lost, they don't have the Holy Spirit. What are they supposed to do? And we ought to have compassion on them. Paul told the Corinthian believers in one place that they were living and acting like mere men, mere men. Well, aren't we mere men? No. Lost people are spiritually incomplete. They have a body. We can see that. And they have a soul. They have a mind, a will, and emotions. But they are spiritually dead and disconnected from God and His truth. But you and I were made spiritually alive at the point of our salvation. The Holy Spirit came to live within us. And He made our spirit that Adam lost for us, made it alive. We can communicate with God. And we have the power of God living within us. And we can understand the truth of God, can't we? And so a lost person doesn't have that. So whenever a believer looks like a lost person, that's a tragedy. You're not living up to your potential. You're not living up to what Christ has given you through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8 verse 9 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Well, is there a possibility that he doesn't? Well, he goes on and he clears that up. Anyone who does not have the Spirit, that's capital S, that's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. If you don't have the Spirit, you're not a Christian. And I know there are groups that teach you can get saved, you know, one time and one year and then get the Holy Spirit maybe a couple of years later. And uh, just according to Romans chapter 8, that is not possible. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2 tells us the difference in an even more striking manner. And you were dead, were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. In other words, we weren't any better than they are. Following the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, right? Now notice, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Now, how does Satan work in the sons of disobedience? He can only be one place at one time. He does it through the other fallen angels who followed him when he rebelled against God and their demons. That person that you see that's lost, how could a person ever do what they did? Because they're demonized. And we haven't even begun to see the wickedness and the treachery 
of what demons can do. And sometimes they parade around as being religious and being moral. And sometimes they parade around as being a Ted Bundy or a son of Sam or something like that. So uh, this is where we need to understand the difference. You're engaged in spiritual warfare every day and every moment of your life. It's not just a ritual that you do and then forget about it. It is every day, every moment because uh, Luther had it right. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, that's the way it is. And every lost person you engage or talk to, you are engaging with the enemy, not that person, because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the spirit that indwells them, according to Ephesians chapter two. And that's why they're indifferent to the gospel. That's why they act the way that they do. And it's amazing because that tells us somewhat of the miracle that God performs when he puts his life and his spirit within a person like that who is dead. The spirit that now works in, controls, energizes those who are in the world now. That used to be us, but thank God, no longer. And the spirit that gives us faith, life, truth, and power is the Holy Spirit. And then number five, notice here that no believer is ever without the Holy Spirit. He's not in the next room. He's not, uh, you know, a couple of miles down the road playing catch up and running to your rescue. It says, you know him for he dwells with you and will be, speaking of the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, will be in you. So dwelling with us and dwelling in us at all times, wherever we may be and whatever we may do, good or bad. Hebrews chapter 13, 5 and 6 says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, and we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. This is the God who will never leave and never forsake us. It is the Holy Spirit. This is the God that gives us power to not be afraid of people. And so we walk in this world and in the times in which we live different than other people, differently than other people. First Corinthians six fifteen. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. That's how permanent the indwelling of the spirit of God is that if you were to join yourself sexually to a prostitute, God would be right there. So the conclusion is the promise is that we are never alone. We're never without power. We're never unable to grow and learn. John 16, 13 and 14 says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Remember the scripture is truth. John 17, 17. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. He is the ever-present God, in other words, right? He is our resident truth teacher. He's always with us, and he always calls attention to Jesus. He's not a last resort, but he is indeed a first resource 
who was always with us. So whenever you have people that talk about the Holy Spirit this and the Holy Spirit that and the Holy Spirit this and the Holy Spirit that, and it's like they're always talking about him, remember these verses. He doesn't glorify himself. He glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because, going back to the beginning, he is a gift to us from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The reason we believe and the reason we love Christ is because of the Holy Spirit. He always draws attention to and testifies of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as you think about that, and as that causes you to be encouraged for every trial you face, you have God, the Holy Spirit, living within you to help you and to guide you through all of that. That ought to give you the confidence to lay your head down on the pillow tonight and to say, Lord, I don't understand this, but I trust you because you are always with me. What do we believe about the Holy Spirit? That sums up a good portion of it in a nutshell. So may the Lord bless you and strengthen you and encourage you as you think about the Holy Spirit who lives in you.